I invite you to rise now as we receive the gospel lesson for today. And it comes from the Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew. It's found in the 10th chapter, and it begins at the 24th verse, where Jesus said, A disciple is not above the teacher, nor a slave above the master. It is enough for the disciple to be like the teacher and the slave like the master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered up that will not be uncovered, and nothing secret that will not become known. What I say to you in the dark, tell in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim from the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground unperceived by your father. And even the hairs of your head are all counted. So do not be afraid. You are of more value than many sparrows. Everyone, therefore, who acknowledges me before others... I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I also will deny before my Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And one's foes will be members of one's own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Those who find their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Both passages we share this morning have tough words, tough words, words that we struggle with as we decide how we live our lives. And so we'll wrestle with these words this day and see what we discover. We begin with the greeting that comes from St. Paul, grace to you all and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. As many of you know, I spent 22 years in the military. And, and some of you have spent that much time and, and perhaps more, or, or at least you're familiar with the military having lived nearby that life. But I can tell you from my experience, and, and others can share the same, that the biggest fear upon entering the military and becoming a basic trainee is that some sort of injury or other problem will cause one to have to restart the training. They have various terms for that condition. They call it being a retread or something like that, but you get the idea. Having gone through it for weeks, having to start from day one is a a heavy, heavy burden. So it comes to be that after a worship service at, at one of the military basic training sites, there was a chaplain there speaking with others. His name is Guy Callie, and he was speaking to one of the soldiers who happened to be on crutches. And as he spoke to that soldier, his own three-year-old child was winding her way around her, her father's legs. Later that day, the little one, Alexandra, related the story of what she'd witnessed at basic training about her father's conversation when she was speaking with the chaplain's mother, the child's grandmother, of course. 
Little Alexandra said, Daddy talked to a soldier girl today, and she was crying. Why was she crying, honey? Grandma asked. Well, Alexandra replied, she doesn't want to be a disciple. When uh, the grandmother shared this account with her son, the chaplain, uh, Chaplain Callie was puzzled for a bit, and he tried to replay all of his conversations that day after worship. And then it finally dawned on him. It's not that the soldier doesn't want to be a disciple. She doesn't want to be recycled. Unfortunately for many of us, what little Alexandra said is more true than we'd like to admit. Disciple seems to imply a level of difficulty which is above and beyond the call of duty in this life, right? Like the soldier on crutches, we expect a certain level of discomfort in our life, but when it comes to facing genuine hardship, we feel like the one in charge might be just asking a little bit too much. After all, haven't we been saved? Haven't we? You and me, and we're all saved people, right? And if hardship is still going to be part of life after we've been saved, then what have we been saved from? There's an implied expectation that for God's people, life should be easier than life should be for any of the people who do not listen to the Lord. Yet, in that gospel passage I read for you a moment ago, we heard... Jesus turned that notion completely on its head. He's quoting a prophecy that comes from long before him. It's a prophecy of Micah, where Christ uses Micah's words to speak of a life of loneliness and difficulty for those who would be his followers. That was 2,000 years ago. Is there loneliness and difficulty who speak up as God's followers in today's world? Certainly there is. The theme here, this eternal theme, is something that the German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and I know you want to say Bonhoeffer. I had a German lady years ago scold me and said, no, it's Bonhoeffer. So I'll do it her way. But he wrote a book. It's called The Cost of Discipleship. And Bonhoeffer, in his life, he wrote that, much of that book in prison after participating in a plot to remove Adolf Hitler from the leadership of Nazi Germany. But now he was imprisoned, having failed in that plot, and he learned how steep the cost could be while being interred in a Nazi concentration camp, where just two days before Hitler took his own life, Hitler dictated the the execution of Bonhoeffer himself. The SS doctor who witnessed Bonhoeffer's execution said, I have hardly ever seen a man die so entirely submissive to the will of God. But that's what Bonhoeffer did. What's expected of of us? Surely we don't have to pay what Bonhoeffer paid, do we? Surely not. How much, then, does this free gift of salvation cost? And with what premium Shall you and I pay that cost? Jesus, in Matthew's gospel, talks about the cost of following him. In particular, Jesus says that following him will bring division. We hear the frightening words, I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. 
and even a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. These, these are strange and frightening words that come from Jesus today. What Christ is doing is reaching back in history to when Micah wrote his prophecy. It's a passage speaking about a time in Israelite history when the people had fallen away from the Lord and pursued other gods. It was a time of treachery among those Israelite people. And it's about a time when the faithful ones, the ones who remained with the Lord God, had to take great care. They had to take care that they must not put their trust in the people they should be able to trust because they might be turned in and much worse than canceled. So Jesus zeroes in on the part of Micah's passage that says, even families may be divided at such a time. Now I'll admit, I'll admit the obvious. This isn't the kind of passage you would expect the Messiah to be claiming to fulfill. I mean, we want to hear passages about the Messiah performing miracles or uh, passages about Christ establishing God's kingdom here on earth and the great joy of the community coming together. And I know I don't, and perhaps you don't expect these words that come from Matthew's gospel. To be honest with you, you know, I, I think of myself that if I had been in the crowd that day, I might have made a fool of myself when Jesus said, do you think I've come to bring peace? And I'd have been the idiot in the middle of the crowd screaming, yes, peace, amen, yes, bring it, brother. Jesus said, no, do not bring peace, but division. Why? What did, what did Jesus mean by this division? Well, as is now obvious, Jesus brought a message that isn't always popular. The Apostle Paul said the gospel message is a stumbling block. It causes some to go, Oof, what is that all about? Jesus' message isn't always popular because although the gospel is certainly good news, it's preceded by some pretty bad news. The news that's bad is that every one of us is sinful. That's why we have confession when we come together, and we'll have that after the sermon this day. And the bad news includes the fact that every one of us needs a Savior. You see, the need for a Savior isn't always a popular thought. For you and me to accept a Savior, we must first confess that we are ourselves morally bankrupt. Then a Savior is welcome in our lives. There's something in the human psyche that is made really uncomfortable by that thought. There's something within most of us that wants a God who affirms that we are just good enough as we are. A God who will say, your life balances to the good. But Jesus doesn't say that. What Jesus said is that your life is messed up and you can't fix it. So, says Jesus, I'll fix it for you. Here's an example of how that works. You know, I got, I got in a lot of trouble with one of my daughters when she was a little child. They're all adults now, but there was the day when I tried to zip up her winter coat zipper to send her out to the school bus. She stomped her foot and put on her worst mad face at her father, and she said, no, I wanted to do it myself. 
Our human nature says to Jesus over and over again, no, I want to do it myself. Our built-in want-to-do-it-my-way thinking always causes trouble, right? It causes division. When you do it your own way, you're an island of one. And so when it's your way, you're on your own. Because the person next to you is doing things their way, and they're going a different direction. And you can imagine this room full of people each going their own ways. Jesus knows this. Our human nature drives us apart, not together. We make our divisions among ourselves all of the time, all of the time. And one of the dumbest of the dumb ways we have issues among ourselves is the issue of money. If you want to know what most people who come to my office who are contemplating divorce want to point fingers at one another about, it's because of money. That's well, not the money's fault. It's each of them had their own way of managing that money. And they've driven apart as a result. We become so focused on ourselves in the course of our lives and on getting our own way that we can, in fact, even cause the most dangerous division of them all. We divide ourselves from Christ. We push ourselves away from his word and his community. There's a man I've been reading for 25 years. He's, his name is the Reverend Dr. Mark Allen Powell, and he writes mostly for other pastors. One of his books is entitled Loving Jesus, which you could take several ways. In a chapter in his book, there is one called Sunday Morning, and he relates this story in that chapter. His words. I remember talking to a Christian rock fan down in Austin, Texas, which tells you he lives in Minnesota because Austin is down, right? The man was a Jesus freak, just like I used to be, and I still want to be, and I envied that man. He was just living in the joy of the Lord, reading his Bible every day, and praying to Jesus, and speaking in tongues, and playing Christian rock on his radio. When I asked him about church, he didn't write it off, but he did say that he hadn't been able to find a congregation where he felt like he fit in. The church where I'm a member, he said, it's something like out of an old black and white TV show, you know, Ozzie and Harriet or, or Leave it to Beaver. Everybody dresses up in suits and they play this music that doesn't sound like anything that I enjoy. And the preacher talks about things that have nothing to do with my life. And I don't know, it's just boring. So I don't go. Powell asked him about finding a different church, but the man didn't know about denominations, and, and he really didn't want to get into all that different doctrines and stuff, so he just didn't go anywhere. Maybe when I'm older, I'll get more out of it, he said, or maybe the church will, you know, lighten up or something. Well, at this, Dr. Powell decided to give the man some advice. He writes, I don't know if it was good advice or not, but I thought about it overnight, and, and then I went back to him. Dr. Powell asked the young man to begin with, do you love Jesus? And the young man quickly said, yes, I do. I love him with my whole heart. Powell asked, would you die for him? Yes, I would, was the response. Then Powell asked, really? 
you would die for Jesus, but you won't be bored for him? And so Powell said, this is what I think the Lord wants you to do, young man. I think that Jesus wants you to get out of bed every Sunday morning and go to that Ozzie and Harriet church and just sit there for one hour being bored. Do it for him. Do it for Christ. Call it bearing your cross if you would like. Just go do it. Part of the reason Dr. Powell said this was because as a young pastor, he had visited a number of the members of his first church. They were deemed inactive on the church roles. He summed up his visits this way. Everyone was saying in some way, shape, or form, I quit coming to church because I wasn't getting out of it what I thought I should get out of it. This very learned and respected Lutheran theologian asks, Where do we get the idea that what happens in church is about us? It's that division thing again. It's about me and what I need and what I want. Powell reminds us, it's the Lord's day. It's the reason we go to to worship is to praise and give thanks to the Lord. Not to get anything specific. Can something as simple as being bored in church be a way we take up our cross and follow Jesus? Can it? I think so. Focusing on church, both the local church as we enjoy it this morning here at Faith, or the Big C Church, the Church of Christ, which spans the world. Or focusing on community, bringing one another together and and loving one another for what we have in common. And, And what is that? The love of Jesus first, but the word of God, the sacraments we share, the the bringing together of the fellowship that we enjoy and the word of God that sustains us through all of it. Those things we have in common. We can be different on a whole bunch of other stuff. But on those things we are in common and we are in unity and we need not suffer division. Setting aside all of the petty things that we encounter in the world that we use to divide ourselves one from another, political party from political party, or opinion from opinion, or whatever it may be. All of those things can be put to a halt in terms of division when we understand ourselves as God's people, God's children, in the context of the church. Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me. It's the reason he wants us to pick up the cross, because the cross has the power to unite us. The cross has the power to overcome any sort of discomfort that we suffer in our lives. And yes, I know we suffer a lot, but the power power is in the cross to overcome that. But have you ever considered you can hold this a different way, and it has a very different look to it all of a sudden? It looks like a sword. And so let us agree with one another. We don't have to take a vote, but let us just mentally agree to never use Christ's cross as a sword against one another causing division in his house. The cross unites us in what Jesus has accomplished at the cross in the beginning. So let us always use the cross in a way to point to the reason, the reason we come to this place, a reason which reconciles any division we find among ourselves out there in the world. 
a reason for healing and for joy and for community that Jesus has instituted 2,000 years ago. Thanks be to God. Amen.